So I got to tell you guys, like it is taking every bit of my professionalism to stay on course with the show tonight and not instead spend the next hour talking about this tweet storm that's going viral (gasps) right now about a woman that found herself, a very young woman, uh, that found herself on a date with a 97-year-old man. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I like that people are, like, just finding it. Like, people are just continuously finding it. And it re-ups in my feed every hour. And it's oh amazing. It is amazing. This is uh, an inspirational story to anyone married that you don't have to deal with this anymore. Oh, my God. It made me feel feelings of awkwardness and sadness and fear. And all, all, all the whole the whole gamut of human emotion happened inside me. <laughs> in the span of like the five minutes took you to read the story yes right. yes it was a, I, the threat the thread is short but it is quality it it's is very to be afraid we will we will link dating. to it i mean just to so listeners know what we're talking about basically this uh this uh woman she says yes to a dating profile uh and she can't quite see the guy's face because he's like staring off into a mountain and it could just be anyone but he has like a really interesting profile so she's like okay and then he shows up and he's like 97 years old and you know like i can figure out every part of the story what i can't figure out is why the guy didn't think at some point like you know like maybe it just seems i don't know it seems not honest i don't know yeah because if you i mean it it is it very much seems like if he if he was pretending the whole time like he didn't know he was on a dating website he was just doing research on the social medias for his book <laughs> and then at the end i won't i will not gonna spoil the end but at the end i i think he clearly knew that he was on a dating site my favorite yes. part was uh her description of him as like a pile of coats <laughs> <laughs> he was just a couple so of 12 year old kids hiding right. in a pile of coats yeah oh my yeah. god I love oh it. God. I love it. So we should tell everybody, Christina is not here this week. Um, yeah, you might have noticed that wasn't her voice. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a guest this week. It is, uh, I am so thrilled about this. Like usually when we get guests, they are, they're low rent. But this week we've got Julia from Polygon. Julia, <laughs> thank you so much for doing the show. I appreciate thank, that. Thank you for such the for such a complimentary introduction. <laughs> The best That's part so of nice. this is that I mean, usually, usually Brie or Christina chooses replacements, and this week Brie was like, "Why don't you choose someone, Simone?" And I was like, "Oh God, <laughs> I have to think of people that I know. I have to network and use my connect." Oh wait, I can ask my roommate. Oh wait, <laughs> I literally just oh, DM my roommate. <laughs> I live with entertainment reporter Julia Alexander. I did not know that. Oh, oh my yeah. goodness! Wow. <laughs> Yeah, Simone and I have been living together since the end of January when I moved here. So, yeah. Bree, is that so, legal? Do, do I have... have to kick her off the show now that you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's got to go. Bye, <laughs> bye, Julie. Oh, no, man. do you have any dirt about Simone? Like, what's her worst roommate habit? Oh, yeah. Like, okay, so Simone is, this. without a doubt, the best roommate like I've ever had. In the sense that Simone just does everything. I feel guilty all the time. Hey, yeah. yeah. do something, and Simone has this beautifully designed apartment she could be like a professional interior designer she's so great and then she just takes care of everything and i just i just stay in my room because i don't want to mess anything up 
So I guess my flaw <laughs> is that I'm too good of a roommate. Too perfect. Too perfect. And it makes too perfect. Feel I make people yeah. feel bad because I am yeah. so good. <laughs> yes. That's basically it, Simone. Oddly I, enough, I that's you always think been about my problem. That. I hope you think about that, Simone. And I think you I hope you rethink your choices in life. I do. <laughs> no. No, I'm good. It's fine. <laughs> Oh. I'm sending you some questions right now, but they're they're related to a later segment. Um, okay. Oh my god! I wonder if these are all going to your email right now. Um, I hope so. You know that email address we talked about a few minutes ago. You should check that. But w- while you're doing that, hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated <laughs> Geek Conversation. I'm Simone DeRoche for video producer at Polygon.com. This episode is sponsored by Storyworth. I did it again. I got the sponsor and my own self mixed up. Um, I'm joined tonight by Brianna Wu, Democratic representative candidate, candidate, candidate for Congress. Candidate, yes. I, I can't believe people thought I was kidding about that. Don't you know that I'm just ignorant? <laughs> and third guest, uh, Julia Alexander, entertainment reporter from Polygon.com, my friend and roommate. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everyone. Welcome. <laughs> I got nothing. Okay, I got, let's get to it. Let's, okay, get, to it. let's cool. get to it. Cool beans. Let's start the stories. All right. So, uh, and oh, also, I should, I guess we do actually have a, a little just, there's some exciting stuff happening in the world this week. And Christina Warren will be telling you what that exciting stuff is on Friday. Uh, but we can't say anything about it right now. But we will talk about uh a related story to what we talked about last week, which was the phishing attempt that um, that struck many people, including some of us here at Polygon, people at The Verge, people at Gizmodo. Uh, Gizmodo actually did their own phishing experiment, which was not related at all to the story last week, but it kind of it ties in very nicely. They actually started this experiment about a month ago where they did a security test on members of the Trump administration uh, it's basically just test to, to see how many people would just click a link in an email that they got from rep- the emails uh, were made to look like they were sent from someone that the recipient knew the email address for each one was security.testigismodomedia.com. But the display name was a person that the, the recipients knew. So they sent these emails uh, with the, a link to a Google sheet uh, to 12 people in the Trump administration and got a surprisingly high number of clicks. I think it was like eight people actually clicked the links. Uh, and that took them to a Google sign-up page, uh, the page that we all know where you enter your name and password. No one actually entered their information there. And I should mention that Gizmodo did not set it up so that it would record the information where it entered. Uh, we're not really here to debate the legality of this. That's not why Christina's gone this week. Um, <laughs> Christina was arrested. She's being held by the <laughs> FBI. Uh, I'm letting it all slip. <laughs> I actually do have a lot to say about the legality of this. Okay. Uh, but when we can get around to that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting story. And what I thought was so interesting is, you know, Gizmodo did this. And, uh, you know, they did get a quite a bit of blowback about it from the, uh, I guess, the the commentators that are out there that love to second-guess journalistic decisions. But, yeah. you, know, this is a, you know, this is a standard practice. I've had this at many companies I've worked for. Uh, you know, I've had this when I've worked, uh, you know, in government-facing positions. Uh, you know, this is pretty standard just to make sure everything is working okay. Um, so I, I thought it was very interesting 
interesting, some of their methodology behind it. Like they actually mailed Newt Gingrich and pretended to be Newt Gingrich's wife. And there are so many comic possibilities there that, you know, just to be like, uh, are you going to click this and follow through on it? But yeah, this is a scary number of people that uh, fell for this. Mm -hmm. I think it really speaks to, uh, you know, the insecurity of a lot of government systems. My favorite part of this was uh, that I, someone forwarded it to a security advisor and got an email back saying it's legitimate. But that was a typo. They meant to say illegitimate. And that's just like a layer of, of flaws in your security system that makes me so upset in my soul. <laughs> it's, so, super, well, it's super yeah. interesting and funny that, I guess at this point, former FBI director James Comey was one of the people that, just to respond to it. Yeah. This is a man who is in charge of ensuring <laughs> right. that these things don't necessarily happen. And he was just like, what is this? Yeah, what and is this? And I, I give them – it's funny that they opened it. I mean, I was talking to people about this and the go-to way in, to, to get me to click on a link, I think for anybody, is to include the person's name, the recipient's mm-hmm. name, because you're just naturally designed to click on it. It's like, hey, Julia, this thing, and you're just going to click on it because your name's in it. So obviously it's meant for you. Um, and I feel like um, Gizmodo didn't even do that. They just included a random uh, subject line and these people clicked on it anyways. And it was like, Brianna was saying, that is terrifying that there are people who are in charge of state secrets and who have access to information that we don't that can get – that people can have access to their emails this easily. Yes. Like yeah. it was clear in every step of that. Uh, like it said in the footer of the email – this is to test your security. This is from Gizmodo to test your security acumen. Like every step of the way, there were sort of disclaimers. And I'm, I, I'm sure that that was kind of part of the the legal thing that they had to do to make sure that they could do this uh, and write the article about it. But yeah, it's <laughs> everyone. Everyone is very flawed, including the people who uh, really don't. They shouldn't be. They really we really don't need that. Don't need but what, that. What, yes. what I appreciate, though, about the article is that they <laughs> they specifically call out um, Joe Bernstein, who is a BuzzFeed tech reporter, uh, a great tech reporter. And Amazing. he has be kind of become uh, infamous beca- due to this phishing because he was one of the first people to click on it and get oh, fished. No. And he <laughs> tweeted about it. And everyone said, oh, isn't it funny? We know who is susceptible to clicking on links where they should know better. And he kind of made himself the joke of this by t- tweeting about how easily fooled he was. But it's clear that people who w- you would hope go through rigorous training for security, uh, for cybersecurity are clicking on links that they're not aware of either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that w- that's what was uh, really surprising for me in some of my uh, you know, dealings with the FBI. Uh, I re- regularly ran into uh, issues uh, you know, during Gamergate with like stove piping. You know, this is a mm-hmm. security, uh, it's a security um, method where if the FBI is like trying to Google something, uh, let's say they Google Simone uh, de Rochefort, they have to first type in Simone and get every single web link about every single Simone ever. And then they have to get Day and get every single web page with Day and then Rochefort. And then combine all those web searches in-house is to kind of, you know, throw people off the track of what they are searching from that particular IP address. Uh, But just in addition to that, like they have 
rules about email attachments uh, for agents in the field mm-hmm. and what they can download. So it was really, really surprising to me that uh, you know even people at the very top would be held to different standards or you know would would be even comfortable dealing with Google links. That was really, really shocking to me. Mm-hmm. So you did want to you did want to talk about the le- the legal aspects of it. Sure. So, you know, I try to live a uh, lawsuit-free lifestyle. That's been uh, a very, very important uh, thing to me uh, as an adult. I've actually never had a a lawsuit. Uh, And I've done, like, hardcore investigative journalism. Like, I have gone into uh, highly, highly multi-million dollar coaches' offices uh, under the pretext of like interviewing them about their team and then ask them about budget misappropriation, right? Ooh. Like they're, they're so like hardcore stuff. So one of the classes I took phenomenally seriously in uh, college uh, was communication law. In fact, I have that textbook right here. I'm looking at it. And, you know, I go to it when I'm curious if something is legal. And I was really interested to see the discussion on this on Twitter about the legality of it and people just having no clue whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Like it is. So there was a really interesting, uh, there was a really interesting court case that came forward and it did decide that uh, journalists cannot do things that are absolutely illegal in the course of uh, conducting a story. There was a famous court case, I believe it was in the 30s, where a man was trying to find out uh, if it was possible to get child pornography. And mm-hmm. he uh, ended up ordering a bunch of child pornography to his home. <laughs> and there was a court case about that. He tried to say, I'm a journalist. Uh, and he ended up being found guilty about that. Uh, they found that journalists can commit very small misdemeanors or misdirection in the the course of getting a story, but like getting someone to click a you know a link in an email, this is what spammers do all mm-hmm. the freaking time. So mm-hmm. um, you know, just the 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 legal case against it is just nonsense. And I would argue that this is just a, a completely legitimate use of the fourth estate. I'd be curious what about the V thing. Yeah. And the, the fact that they included, I'm going to read this directly, this is from the story, where um, Gizmodo specifically says that anyone who clicked the sign-in button would receive a message alerting them to the fact that they'd just taken part in a security audit by the special projects desk and included the contact information for John Cook, who's the executive editor of their um, investigative bureau. And like Simone said earlier, they every step of the way, there was a message at the bottom that said, this page was built by Gizmodo Media Group. This is exactly what it is. We're giving you, we're telling you what this is. You're deciding to go ahead. So at that point, what is the legal case that you have? They didn't necessarily lie to you. Mm-hmm. They told you up front what they were doing. You just didn't see it. Right. Yeah, it felt like a very knee-jerk reaction on the part of um, of commenters. And I, the first thing I did after I read the story was I scrolled down to the comment section like a fool, like a darn <laughs> fool. And the first thing was, of course, like, oh, you guys are going to get sued for this. And I... I think that that's just kind of willfully missing the point of what they were trying to do and willfully ignoring the fact that they did include a lot of a lot of disclaimers and that they obviously set it up so that it wouldn't actually be gathering anyone's information. I think that obviously (laughs) 
Gizmodo, Fusion Media has lawyers who work for them. Who they, they they didn't just like they weren't sitting around at lunch break vaping, going, "Oh, hey, let's uh, what if we like try to let's fish the government, yo?" But that's that's what, but exactly that's ex- what it sounds like at Gizmodo, by the way. That's exactly <laughs> that's exactly it, though. Like I was working at the Toronto Sun during the Rob Ford when we, that that investigation, and we had a story, we had it ready to go. For that story, dealing with a mayor, not a U.S. federal bureau, not a government of any kind, just a mayor of a municipal government in Toronto, the amount of lawyers that we would send our stuff through in order to publish, you could have a story ready to go a week and a half, two weeks before it's published just because you want your lawyers to look over every single detail to ensure you're not going to get sued. Because as anyone who has read a article in the past decade knows journalism is not a thriving industry the last thing they want to do is get a lawsuit that could potentially (laughs) shut them down so they're going to take precautions it's like simone said yeah fusion and gizmodo media group they are very aware of what they're doing their lawyers are very aware of what they're doing they're fine they did not do anything wrong any group at gizmodo is adequately funded right now it would be their legal department Anyone is getting paid enough to hire competent personnel. It's got to be that. But you, know, this brings us back to like a bigger question here. I absolutely hate that this is the knee jerk um, place the discussion goes to, because you know we need better reporting on security and tech issues with the government. Um, You know, I'm running for Congress right now. I have to say the deeper I get into our tech policy as we're putting together our platform, I'm just, Simone, my jaw is dropping every single day. Like I started looking into this week uh, about the process of how we like pick software for like, say, uh, a public school to like uh, record grades and, you know, have databases on staff and you start peeling back the onion of like, okay, how is this data saved? How is it encrypted? How do we know it's reliable? And it's just a more and more depressing story the deeper you get into this. So I hate that Gizmodo is doing fair journalism here. And the first reaction from the public is trying to shut them down to protect the powerful. If, you know, someone, if I were lucky enough to serve and someone came to me with this story and I fell for it, I would be like, my God, thank you for showing me that I did not exercise the best judgment here. We have got to do better. This is helpful. It's so strange. And I would be so disappointed if I had worked for three weeks on this and the response isn't gosh, golly, there are, you know, big security loopholes in our government or like, not security loopholes. I mean, technically security loopholes, but just like human nature is flawed in our government and we should find a way to fix that. But instead, the reaction is, hey, you did an illegal thing, (laughs) which I mean, you didn't. And it's funny because I agree. Like, I think it's super unfortunate and I it breaks my heart a little bit as someone who's worked as a journalist for many years to hear that kind of response. But as um, both of you would know, we see the same kind of response when we write about a security flaw that PlayStation users are facing. And the first defense is don't insult place, like don't insult Sony. And (laughs) you're just pointing out a security flaw. You're not insulting anyone. Just like Gizmodo, they specifically point out their lead is specifically says, Hey, this is terrifying because we expected you to have better training, but also Tech reporters who spend 
16 hours a day dedicated to learning about technology also fell for something like this. Mm -hmm. The point is, it's to point out that we could all fall for it. We just hope that at at a national security level, there's maybe a little bit more precaution that goes into it. I think it's interesting that these, that an attachment, like Brianna was saying, an, an attachment included in a document to a Google Docs managed to get through a firewall at a federal level. Mm-hmm. That should be like, that should have to be clear through something. I mean, if we're worried about hacking from a number, from within our own country or international countries, like ne- not even looking at a global <laughs> spectrum of this, this is an, such an important story. And like you said, Brianna, I would be, if I was in this, if I was somebody who had fell for this uh, attack or someone who just works in government, this would be a huge wake up call to me to learn more about it. I, I think it really speaks to the, I you know, I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on this, Julia. I mean, a stat that uh, I read recently, and it, it really shocked me, is if you look at congressional approval, it goes between 24% and 6%. But somehow, somehow, trust in the media is even lower than that. And, you know, you have a lot of politicians that, like, express anger at that. Why do you think there is so much hate and distrust towards the media? Because for me, knowing so many people in media, I mean, it's generally a lot of you know 20-somethings and 30-somethings that are not paid well enough that are working their butts off. Like, it's, thank you. It, it's, it's, it's not like this is not a profession. You should be angry. You should be angry for them not being paid and having their work recognized enough. It's, I, I really don't understand it. It's the reiteration, and this started with the campaign around um, Trump and the Republicans in general, but it definitely is not just because of them. Um, This is the reiteration of both politicians and journalists saying, using the term fake news. This is the reiteration of that's wrong, that you can't trust this person, that's wrong, you can't trust this person, coming from both sides. If I'm someone who isn't spending – 18 hours a day online reading a multitude of publications because who does other than people in the media? I'm going to – I'm not going to know who to trust. And At some point, it's you align yourself with someone. You align yourself with a side and everyone else is fake news. Mm-hmm. And I think that gets harder to wade through. I speak to my parents who are – my dad's almost 70. My mom's up almost 60. They're not online reading, but – so they get their news from a very uh, from a couple of sources, and even now, like they're distrust the media. They don't know who to trust anymore because they don't know if they can trust politicians. They don't know if they can trust m- journalists. They don't know who to trust, and so mm-hmm. they kind of you have this you have this disillusion of of what is being given to you. And I think at some point you just tune it out, and I don't know, but it, it it's really disheartening. Yeah, no, I think really that's really is. well said. And especially like Gizmodo, I mean, their investigative team is phenomenal. It is some of the best journalists working today. And they, like Simone said, you spend yeah a month or something, probably more doing something like this. And it's like, no, we're just not going to – you're fake news automatically because we're going to spread this around a bunch of different websites and a bunch of different chains that are going to spread this. And Facebook's not – your people on Facebook are going to discredit it. And that sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. I mean, I feel the opposite way. Like, there's so much high quality work being done mm-hmm. right now that I can't 
even read it all. Like well, Joshua Topolsky's new out, uh, you know, the outline is great. Like, that yeah. is excellent work. Yeah. You have Vox Media. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Not just saying this because <laughs> you guys work there. I think you are universally doing some of the best work in the business. Buzzfeed. You know, I mean, you've Killing never had it. better options. Mm-hmm. And but I think it's the problem just, is there is that there are, there are too many options. And we've talked before about Facebook's algorithms and mm-hmm. favoring at one point news that was just not correct or news sites that were literally fake. And I think that that has also contributed um, in a big way to this creating this divide. And people don't want objective news anymore. They haven't for a while. We know that because Fox News and MSNBC are viable networks. We know that. And there's nothing against either. Like, I just think if you compare one to the other, they both have opinion, very opinionated hosts. And that's what you tune in for. You know, you tune into Maddow because you agree with Rachel Maddow or you tune into whoever Fox has <laughs> at this point. You tune, you tune in <laughs> to who, for their opinion. And people don't want objective investigative journalism. They don't want a Watergate-style investigation. They want to know that their opinion is agreed upon by someone that they can see on TV or someone that they can read. Like, they want to have that same opinion. We see, we've see seen that in games, as all three of us know. I've seen it in entertainment to an extent, and we're definitely seeing it in news, and it's just becoming a bigger and bigger trend, and it's growing far more rapidly than it did before. God, this I, is like I don't know thing. if I agree with that, though. I think it's a more subtle argument here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, since running for office, mm-hmm. one of the things I really um, have to struggle with is the the district I'm running is very varied. So if I'm giving a um, if I'm giving a speech in Jamaica Plains, which is kind of the Bernie centric LGBT mm-hmm. you know hipster part of Boston. I can't go give that same speech to, uh, you know, steel workers in a union that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, out in uh, near Brockton, right? So something I've had to read a lot about is uh, framing and psychology. And what I think it is, is like when Polygon first came along, I liked it because it fit within my psychological frame of the world. I Mm -hmm. wanted accurate work that wasn't actively hostile to me as a woman and a queer woman, right? And, you know, you guys have made mistakes. You don't do 100%, but you do a decent job at that. So it fits within the psychological frame of how I understand the world. I think that's the same thing with Fox News. I think the more prestigious press, like, you know, New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, you know, reading that kind of journalism is almost a privilege. You know, it's like a, a, a rich, it's it's something really only the economically well-off can do because it's so expensive. Mm-hmm. And I think it like changes you to think in terms of the elites. Like I have to read the Wall Street Journal every single day now. And it's hard to not like start thinking about economic issues through that frame. So I think it's, I think it's easy to just like say, oh, people just want things that, aligned with their biases. I think it's more like people have different ways of understanding the world. And when you get information that conflicts with that, it it throws most of us off. I think yeah. that's a really good point. And I think that's what BuzzFeed is trying. I'm going to forget. I'm going to get the name wrong and I feel bad, but BuzzFeed is trying to do that with like, it's outside your box or something. They're essentially doing exactly that. It's, Hey, we know that from our data collected, you're outside probably- your bubble. Yeah, thank you. Outside your bubble. We probably know that you're between the age of whatever, 15 and 30. Like you're young, you're probably liberal, all this. And so what they're doing is going, okay, we're going to report 
the accurate information, but we're going to give it to you the way that other people might see it. And we're going to have this conversation. And it's apparently doing well enough that they're hiring many more reporters for it, which is great. But that actually, I think, Brent, is a good point that you brought up. Like it is, yeah, reading the New York Times or the Washington Post on a daily basis or both is an economic thing. It costs $15 a month to do both, right? And whereas other ones are free. And and I think – if more outlets could try to do that style of reporting where it's like, hey, we're, we know who our audience is, just like we know who Vox Media's audience is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you try to position that as, hey, here's something that you're probably not reading that we think is equally important and we want to give it to you for free, uh, that we can maybe we'll see a trust again with people. I think we it's important, though, to not discredit Facebook's algorithm and all this stuff that they're trying to fix, same with Google to make sure that people are getting the most objective reporting they can. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. This is a yeah, really I think cool all of us. I think all of us could do to grow up a little bit and learn to accept viewpoints that are outside yeah. of our, our purview. Totally. Like it's, yeah. it's hard, like, but you got to do it. So. I know a way that you can ex- or understand viewpoints, and it's called <laughs> StoryWorth. <laughs> let, me, let me do a little, a little scene setting for y'all. You're sitting down to family dinner. There's candlelight all around. I don't know why it's that romantic, but it is. It's not romantic. It's a fun family time. But like you get a few glasses in with your family and you you start hearing these incredible stories from your grandparents. Like I learned all about my grandma's boyfriend's first wife, which was really cool um, when I was just hanging out with her in Vermont. And, you know, we'd sit around reading books at night and then she would tell me all these cool stories about her raising kids. And they were living in like Hong Kong in the 50s or something and they would travel all over Asia. And the thing is, I don't have a great memory and there's a lot of stories that I need to make her tell me again. Um, and I'm she won't mind because she's old. She probably loves telling them and maybe doesn't remember. But what if I forget them again? I don't want to lose all these all these family memories that I could have that are just really interesting insights into my family's lives. So that's where StoryWorth comes in. It is the easiest way to share your family stories. It makes it easy and enjoyable for your loved ones to share their life stories or just, you know, chat about their lives with weekly emailed story prompts and questions that you might not think to ask. Like, I can't just sit down and be like, Grandma, tell me again about Uncle Paul's first wife. (laughs) 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 That would be kind of weird. There's no, like... You, you, there's no real good in there for me. Like, I got to wait for the conversation to turn there naturally. Um, but StoryWorth provides you with all these questions that you might not think to ask your, your friends and family. There's a big list here. I'm going to bring it up. Um, and then you can also send your own questions to them. So you can actually basically ask any questions you want, like get them emailed to say your mother, your boyfriend, your whatever. And they'll send a response or they'll post a response back and they can add pictures. They can do voice recordings. You can comment on it. The really cool thing is that at the end of the year, you can get all these life stories told over the year bound up into a hardcover book with photos and sent to you. So basically, I could make my grandma send me an email every day for a year, which is something that she would probably love because she misses me and loves me and wants to talk to me. 
And then at the end of the year, I could be like, psych, never got to talk to you again, grandma. I've got your life stories in a book. It's 500 pages long. Sorry, it's up to 480 pages. Booyah, I'm out. Bye, grandma. Um, but I won't do that because I love my grandma and I want to hear more of her. I bet she has more than 480 pages worth of stories. Uh, so I, I've sent you some questions, Brianna Wu. Um, I, All right. Because uh, I, I gifted, I basically gifted you an account uh, through my account Yay. so that I could uh, learn more about your life. I think I sent you, what did I send you? I asked uh, about your friends from high school and how they've changed since oh, then. God. Um, oh my God. I may have answered the question for you by uploading a picture of Harry Houdini in handcuffs. I will tell you the story of Blair, the guy in my grade that uh, got sent to the hospital for trying to have sex with a vacuum cleaner. Wow. I'll tell you that story. Is and he okay will be now? will gorgeous hardcover books. <laughs> It'll be amazing. It'll be heartwarming. Oh, my God. Uh, I answered for myself. I gave myself the question, what gives me peace of mind? And I again yeah. uploaded this fantastic picture of Harry Houdini in handcuffs. Um, I learned recently that he was actually quite handsome and that he really? uh, liked to put himself in handcuffs. So um, that was that was fun for me to learn. Uh, and now I'll remember it forever. <laughs> so basically how this works is that you buy a subscription um, for someone important to you, someone you love, someone you want to hear from. And each week, StoryWorth will send them an email with a question about their life. Uh, you personally can arrange the questions and like take certain questions out um, and they'll email back with their story or they could record, do a voice recording, which I think is super freaking cool. And then after the year, uh, this, you'll, the stories will be bound into that gorgeous book. Uh, so it is a great way to learn more about someone and the questions are kind of designed to provoke people into like delving back into those memories and giving you those personal responses that you crave. This is actually, so Brianna, you might have noticed with my invitation, the invitation yes. that I sent you, it says, uh, thanks, mom. And that's because I was thinking <laughs> about sending it to my mother because I think this would actually be like a really fun way to keep in touch with her because she lives uh, across the country from me. And I, as everyone knows, my dad also lives overseas uh, in France and he freaking loves talking to me, but he's really <laughs> bad at doing it over Facebook chat. Which is yeah. where I have most of my conversations because he—that's just like not the way conversation works for him. I think so. We yeah. always we kind of have a lot of more awkward interactions than I think that we need to because we are on different levels there. Like he asked yeah. me what the yeah. fish man emoji meant once, and I was like, <laughs> I can't believe I have to. He's literally jumping in the air and saying yes. Uh, so something like this would give me, you know, more chances to not be a total a hole to my dad. And, like, actually trade stories back and forth with him, which I think is something that he would relate to more. So I, I, can, I like Can this. I tell you a yeah. quick story, Simone? Like, right before my grandmother passed, uh, she started calling my mom and my family um, just constantly. And what she wanted to do is get all of her life stories uh, written down and put in a book uh, so it would be there forever. You know, because she was, she lived in an age like before computers and she just wanted something to go on after her that was like a record of all of her experiences. And I can, I could see doing this with like more elderly relatives just to like get your family story like really written down and put out there to last. I just think that's, that's freaking brilliant. Yeah. That definitely, I, I'm, I think about that right now too, because most of my uh, living grandparents are, 
somewhat elderly and I'm like thinking constantly about this. Um and oh. the cool thing is that like you can you can invite as many people as you want um uh via email and you can also upload kind of like p- post the stories for them, which I think is really cool. So if you're like your grandparent is not that great with technology, like you you can be the one in charge of actually recording those stories, which I think is great if the the person is not that technologically adept. So this is really cool. Uh Mother's Day and Father's Day are both coming up, so it's, I think it's quite timely. If you're listening to the show right now, you can get $20 off their subscription by visiting storyworth.com slash rocket. That's $20 off when you visit storyworth.com slash rocket. So thank you so much, Storyworth, for this great, timely uh, timely thing to bring into my life. And uh, thanks for supporting Rocket and Relay FM. Amazing. Okay, Julia, before we go on, I'm sending a picture into Skype. And I just want uh, I just want to know yes or no. If this person talked to you at a bar, would you run away or <laughs> oh would you God. listen to him? Um, it, that is Harry Houdini. And I would not talk to him. Instant I, run away. Yeah. Okay. Did Simone, you see the picture? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm posting a picture in Skype. Also of Harry Houdini. Instant talk to. I think like that's the difference. Um, to paint a pic- a picture for people listening, Please the do. one that Brianna sent is a disturbing. Maybe yeah. I I just the eyes they follow you. It's a terrifying photo of Harry Jr.'s face. It kind of looks like Odo. It kind of looks like a serial killer. Yes, <laughs> and the one that Simone sent has Harry Houdini semi nude with locks around and chains around his body. <laughs> Which is much more Simone than anything else. He had a 1920s thing going on with like the the very plucked eyebrows and I, I, I whatever you know. I'm not going to defend my attraction to Harry Houdini. He kind of looks like Anders from Workaholics in this photo, and I think that says something about about you, Simone. I don't know what that means. I, I, <laughs> Julia, you've got to protect Simone from her dating instincts. Just, <laughs> just be there. Rocket I, can't go on without her. So I we're, we're is, counting on you. That is a, that's a big job. <laughs> yes, okay. I, well, as long as Simone is obsessed with, uh, uh, Hemingway and Fitzgerald, I think yeah. we're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Only, only dead men demon for me. But- on the show. Our next story is about a living man, not even really about a man, a living organization called the FCC. Uh, So John Oliver did a segment on net neutrality the other night, um, which sparked off, uh, not for the first time, a vast website slowdown for the FCC, which has become more uh, dramatic and illicit than perhaps anyone expected. So John Oliver's segment was about net neutrality. He encouraged people to go comment on the FCC site, uh, supporting net neutrality. Yay, cool. Uh, There was a huge... uh, slowdown on the site that was at first attributed to the tons of commenters was then attributed from by the FCC to DOS attacks on their site. Um, and then like simultaneously and yet from a different angle, there is this story where nearly identical 58,000 at the time of the verge write up on this 58,000 anti net neutrality comments are flooding the FCC's open comment section um, which is wild to me. And there's uh, this possibility that um, it is attached to one of those uh, forms that we have all in one, at least once in our lives filled out saying, 
hey, add my name to this list of people who support this message, um, except anti-net neutrality rather than for net neutrality, uh, because these comments are being left by accounts that have real people's names. But The Verge reached out to these people and they were like, uh, nope, doesn't sound like me. Sounds like hackers. Um, so this is a, an interesting flare-up uh, about the net neutrality debate, which is just yet another exhausting and terrifying thing that's happening in our world right now. <laughs> I, I think it really speaks to the the ease at which you can manufacture um, like opinions. Uh, just out of thin air, like Gizmodo had a fantastic, uh, I'm sorry, BuzzFeed rather, had a fantastic investigative piece a while back about a, you know, uh, a Trump supporter that basically uh, created his own botnet of people to like mirror his own views on Twitter. Uh, and we've we've really seen this tactic uh, explode. It happens on you know, news story websites. It happens on Twitter. It happens on Facebook. And really, uh, what people have done is they've you know found ways to uh, basically get around uh, you know certain protections to create this feeling of overwhelming support for you know certain general right wing causes. Uh, when it just simply does not exist. Uh, what I think is so interesting here is, you know, net neutrality, it's hard to meet anyone that works in technology that is anti-net neutrality. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I've ever met I was anyone. actually very surprised to learn that there were people on the internet who are anti-net neutrality because, like, that is actually one cause that unites people on 4chan and people uh, who are more liberal is that net neutrality we all love net neutrality. So it, this was wild to me. So yeah, I think but I think it really speaks to the the frightening ease of which you can uh, you know, basically manufacture uh, consent and this feeling of support for causes. Mm -hmm. uh, we looked into this a while back. And yeah, I'm an ethical hacker. I would never you know, put something like this out there. But I I did research like what it put what it takes to you know put together Twitter bots or what it takes to you know spam an account, uh, you know like these various uh, ways to you know make it seem like tons of people support you. And it's frighteningly easy, and mm -hmm. it's 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 easy to see why so many people do this to give themselves fake. Instagram followers or Twitter followers or YouTube mm. views because it's it's simple. It really made me think twice about signing any petition ever. <laughs> it's so interesting to I, I read stories about DDoS and it's one of those things where we talk about this a lot at Polygon where we will sometimes pass on a story because we think it's common knowledge only to realize that, oh, it's a real insular subject that we're super knowledgeable about. So we assume that people are aware of it when they're not. Uh, and I think DDoSing is a great example of that where I just assume everyone is aware what, of what DDoSing is because, like, like you both, like the both of you, we're in so, we are involved in such tech heavy areas. But there, I remember reading, uh, not reading, experiencing DDoSing stuff when I was playing Habba Hotel back in like 2006. This was like the rise of 4chan's like slash b slash. This was the rise of anonymous and all that. By this point, it's so crazy to me that. People are still trying to figure out what DDoSing is. Like John Oliver is like, hey, go out and comment. And people are like, well, what, what happened? How come it stopped? Like, why is it, what, what went wrong? And it's like the server's the guys, overloaded, the guys. Servers. It's okay. <laughs> let's, let's explain servers quickly. But it's so interesting to me. Yeah, and 
com- combine that kind of lack of knowledge that people maybe don't have about what this exactly is with the fact that there are people who are just creating bots that will do this exact thing or fake, yeah, fake users to do this exact thing. It's a terrifying time to be on the internet. Like, it's super fascinating and interesting from a reporting perspective. <laughs> yeah. And terrifying all the same. Because we saw this happen with the French election just this past weekend, where people put out a bunch of fake users and bots to kind of get people to talk about Macron and Le Pen and support Le Pen. This was a uh, the alt-right, or I should say the far-right, because we don't know if it was the alt-right, but to be objective, <laughs> there was a right-wing <laughs> person who came out and kind of let loose all these different bots that were to support Le Pen and kind of show that she had more supporters than she ended up having. But that's the exact type of thing. It was you flooded Twitter or you flooded Instagram with this kind of support. And no, it wasn't real, but it mm-hmm. just created a, a – it clogged the artery that is the way we communicate on these platforms. And even Definitely. if you know that it's bots, I can't imagine that that would make being on the receiving end of that sort of thing feel any better. No, not at all. It's, I mean, the FCC, I'm more surprised that they didn't prepare for something like this because you have upset om- – yes, Mom, with the exception of the random individuals who are <laughs> – those who we just want to talk about. You've upset 99% of people <laughs> online. Yeah. Their retaliation is going to be an online organized retaliation. Well, I think that speaks to the the primitivity of a lot of government Mm -hmm. uh, technology infrastructure. I mean, you can go out and get a WordPress site and, you know, they brag in their marketing materials. Like, it is nearly impossible to take down one of our sites with, you know, Mm -hmm. DDoS. Uh, You know, Daring Fireball, I'm 90% sure that uses WordPress and it's, you know, it's it's pretty much bulletproof. Uh, You know, the fact that, you know, the FEC is not prepared for this. I I haven't looked into this, so I can't say definitively, but I bet if I looked down into that, I would find aging server architecture and just, uh, you know, like we figured out a lot of things uh, as far as, you know, server offflow and, you know, ways to make it more difficult to DDoS things. So um, I, I think it speaks to how both underfunded and vendor dependent a lot of, uh, you know, government infrastructure is. Yay. <laughs> That's just what you want to hear. I mean, I have, the same, yeah. I have the same incredulous thoughts, which I'm sure someone will be quick to point out to me. At, they'll find a way to get this message to me. But I have the same thoughts about whenever we write a story about how a very popular game is now live and the servers have crashed. And like, how at this point, <laughs> how have you not prepared for the amount of people that right. are going to sign on to your game to play on to to have a, a multiplayer session? And again, someone will point out why that is, and I don't know it. Um, but it's the same kind of I, I have this incredulous feeling that how do you have these antiquated servers or ant technology where you're not prepared for this kind of thing, especially for the FCC? Again, at a very federal level, <laughs> where mm-hmm. I would hope that you would. Yeah, it blows my mind that PSN is still as bad as it is. Oh, yeah. don't even get it should not, started It should on... not take four days to download a game on PSN. Exactly. I just don't think it should. So. <laughs> and they should, re- they should have some sort of better account security for people who get their stuff stolen. Oh, but we're not talking about that right now. <laughs> uh, should we talk about Snapchat? Uh, just very briefly. Uh, yeah, we'll so- whiz through. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Basically, Snapchat numbers came out this week. They're not good, Simone. They're garbage. They're very, very, very bad. Very, 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 very bad. bad. 
why did they why did they bring this to an IPO other than the venture capitalists behind it wanted to cash out? I mean, this company, they're losing more money than ever before. Their users have slowed, their features are being cloned by competitors. Um, they in their messaging, it doesn't really look like they have a plan to make money in the future. I mean, this they is literally this said is a turkey. We may never be profitable. Right. Which is baffling to me. And what's even more baffling to me, and this is partially I'm gonna show my misunderstanding perhaps of money here, but they their users are growing they're very, very slowly. So user growth is stagnating. Uh their revenue in general has increased. Yeah. And the revenue generated by users is up, and yet they have lost over $2.2 billion, uh, according to these most recent numbers. And yes, uh, the some of that uh, was, as reported by The Verge, is for the one, the payouts uh, because yeah. of the IPO. Not all of it is. No. How, the, how, how the do majority you have of it these is. positive things, uh, like revenue going up, revenue in general increasing, and yet we may never make a profit? What's... What's wrong there? What, what's happening? Snapchat is fascinating. And so Snapchat is a company that I have been following per, just out of personal interest for a while because I don't like it. But I want to <laughs> know why everyone else does. And so I follow it. And I think what happened to Snapchat, and this is the – I'm going to explain this because this is my comparison I've used for a while. Snapchat got appled. Essentially, with Facebook being the apple in this situation, Snapchat had this brilliant idea – fantastic platform that is difficult to use, but whatever, the teens have figured it out. They get it. They want to share it. They figured it out. Come along. Here comes along Facebook, who's the Apple in this scenario. They like what they're seeing. They have a. They have more money. They have better resources. They can hire the better people to just develop that, but better. And so what happens is if you're going to have an easier product to use that's accessible to more people that more people are on, I feel like you're going to move away from that. So in this era of when everyone has the exact same app, like you have Snapchat and Facebook and you have it all in Twitter. I'm going to end up using the one more often where it's easier to use. And Apple does that. Apple will watch what people do, what other companies do, and then they'll come out with a better product. It's like, hey, we have the cell phone too, except ours is easier to use and better to look at. Laptops. We have a laptop too. Better to use, easier to use, but better to look at. That's what happened with the, the MacBooks when they first came out. And I think it's really interesting seeing Snapchat kind of finally have to in, give these numbers up for the first time since they went public. They could kind of hide it before. Now they have to say what's happening. Um, and I don't know what the future of Snapchat is. I feel like Snapchat has its user and it's, it's growing, if if not you know, slowly, in the same way that Netflix is growing, but slowly because at this point everyone has it. And I feel like they're going to hit a point where they have to figure out what is next beyond relying on user growth because once mm-hmm. everyone has it who do you sell it to that's a really good point i'm trying yeah. to see if they include in this article uh stats about daily use because it just occurred to me that user growth just because you have it does not mean that you are using it and seeing their ads so um, it's uh 166 million act daily active users daily active hmm. okay interesting oh snapchat i think i think that that is a really good point and i definitely it's sad yeah it's sad i don't really have much more to add uh before we move on i'll just say when john mccain came out uh yesterday and uh condemned the comey firing i was very amused because i looked at his twitter avatar it's snapchat <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's a snapchat oh, oh, yeah. i was just i was just thinking about this idea oh, of like 
oh, I'm John McCain. Let me just get on the Snapchats and don't want anyone seeing what I'm sexting to people. Like, I just couldn't even, I just couldn't even think about that. Filth garbage. Sorry, sorry, Simone. Filth garbage, and we must move on now. Uh, So for dessert today, we're going to talk about this uh, piece that, Julia, you wrote about Fire Island and social media. And did you follow the Fire Island debacle at all, Brie? Of course. Are you kidding me? I was glued to my Twitter. I like, was in Texas while it happened. I missed like the entire thing. Oh. And I got back on and like everyone was talking about Fire Island. I was like, what? <laughs> I missed the best scandal of 2017. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm familiar with fire. I'm familiar with fire. This is a great piece, Julia. You should be oh, very proud of it. Thank you. Yeah. Do you want to uh, like summarize it for us? Yeah, so really quickly, Fire Festival was this Fire Festival, not Fire Frickin' Island. God promise. I would I think it's it was a promise. It was a music festival that took place uh on a tropical island that was organized by Jaw Rule. It was gonna bring a bunch of um big big musicians together and artists, and it was promoted by models like Kendall Jenner, who maybe should not be promoting anything anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And it was, the idea was that you go away for this weekend, go to a cool festival, and have this very, very luxurious getaway. What ended up happening is they got none of that. They were basically stranded on this island. There was no food. There was no shelter. None of the bands showed up. They basically gave a bunch of 20-year-olds a bunch of alcohol so they could get drunk and forget their woes. Uh, this became the biggest scandal. One of the reasons why it became so talked about, though, is because the people who went were spending anywhere from – 1500 to $90,000 to go to this festival. So they were well off. These were well off kids who came from wealth for the most part. Uh, and what I wrote about is that, yes, definitely that we should acknowledge the fact that these are mainly white, mainly wealthy kids who are going, who can have the, uh, who can afford this type of experience. But I think this type of experience could only be bred out of social media and the desire for fantasy that we create. And that is bred out of FOMO. The idea of fear of missing out, the idea that I want to live the luxurious lifestyle that Kendall Jenner lives. I want to have that daily and I never will. So I'm going to spend $1,500 to go to a festival for a weekend and kind of fill up my Instagram feed with that image. Mm -hmm. And that's what my life will be like for three or four days. So I kind of empathized with that mentality because I get it. Like we all do something similar where it's we use our Instagram feed to kind of promote a more exciting life than we have. We don't Instagram ourselves, you know, washing dishes. We Instagram ourselves at a concert or at a cool event. Um, And that is to give people the idea that we lead much more exciting lives than we do. So my thesis was let's not do that. Let's not spend $1,500 to go to a festival if, we don't have to if there's reasons. I mean, it, the whole thing is like we, we're doing this to create an idea of what our lives – what we mm-hmm. want our lives to be, this fantasy life that we want to lead. And that's not what's interesting. Like that's cool, but it doesn't always work out as seen. And we should remember that when we're trying to curate this type of lifestyle. Yeah. I, I guess that was my question about your piece. Um, I, th- I thought it was very well said. Uh, but I – I swear on a stack of Bibles, I'm being honest when I say this, I don't have any part of my brain when Mm -hmm. I use social media Mm -hmm. that is trying to create like this glamorous Brianna Wu lifestyle or like (laughs) try to 
I, it's just fundamentally not what drives me. I've never had that thought in my life. I try to post content that is interesting. I try to, you know, show discretion in what I say, but it's really more about the audience, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. I totally. could tweet endlessly about Better Call Saul this week because it was <laughs> interesting, because I don't, but I don't think that's super interesting. So I don't know if it's generational or I don't know if it's just psychological, but I just, I don't, I, I, but I know people that would fall for this. Like one of the weirdest things that happened to me in my life is I had a really good friend in college and this guy was, there was something just broken inside of him. He's a nice person, but he just kept trying out for reality shows obsessively and specifically real world and road rules. Mm -hmm. And he's a good looking, very cute guy, uh, you know, and interesting, nice, but there was some part of his brain psychologically where he wanted to be famous. And that is exactly the kind of person I imagine going to this. So I don't know, but I just, that part didn't ring true to me, if that makes sense. No, and it's really interesting. I have this conversation um, with my partner a lot, and, and he, we joke around how much we want to kind of make our relationship public on things like Twitter or Instagram. Um, and so what we tend to do is tweet jokes about each other instead of actually posting photos. And a part of that is for privacy. A part of that is we don't want our relationship entirely public. Um, but a part of that is – and he said this and I thought it was really interesting. He said, you know, we have these personas and if we go away from that, then we're not fitting our persona. We're not fitting our hashtag brand. Hmm. And I, it's, I think it's something that I don't actively think about, but I definitely play into subconsciously. Um, and that's kind of what I mentioned in my post is that there are things that I do be, because it fits a certain image. Like I will, I Instagrammed a photo of like a glass of whiskey and, and a Joan Didion novel. And it's like, and I, I genuinely enjoy that, but also I know what that image is. Like I know what that's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's slightly pretentious <laughs> and it's, it's actually very pretentious and, um, kind of obnoxious and, and ostentatious. And I think, so I think like I get where these kids are coming from, where it's like I want to show people a side of me that they that these people will think is more interest will make them think I'm more interesting than I actually am. Sure. Uh, and I think that's just I think that comes from a place of insecurity, and, and technology has a and social media specifically has a way of highlighting all those insecurities and making you want to fight against them publicly. I think you, uh, that's at a least that's really, my experience with it. That's a really good point that you you do enjoy the whiskey and the Joan Didion novel. But you also, in that moment, were thinking the quintessential, that's my brand. Like, that's recognizably me. Yeah. And therefore, it is. it makes the cut to go on this public and go out to the world in this public way where people will see it and be like, ah, yes, it's her. And you're saying, this is me. And you're, you're creating this, like, f- fractal image of yourself and putting that out there. And I think um, – to your point, Brie, I, I do think that generational stuff comes into it. Like, I don't have FOMO so much, but I also have definitely, like, had moments where, say, if, I don't know, and this was, I guess, for, further back. Let, let, imagine a younger Simone, a younger, <laughs> more sensitive Simone, who, um, in a long-distance relationship, perhaps, would want to be posting stuff that made it look like I was having fun so that it didn't look like I was sitting around being sad that I wasn't taught. Like I have a, I have a life. It's not just about you. 
I'm, you know, out here doing fun, cool stuff. Uh, you can see how that might cause some tension in a long distance relationship. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 But but there definitely is that like a, a disconnect, uh, even if you're not doing it to make it look like you're having the best gosh darn fun time. There is always a disconnect, I think, between what goes on social media and what's going on internally, um, which is good because people who like just open their mouths and put garbage on social media are should rethink that. Uh, <laughs> it's really bad for your brand um, <laughs> and your life and your relationships. But um, yeah, I, th- I thought your piece was really empathetic, Julie. And I think that that's a, a great point that you've just raised about. Um, I, I think for me, something I really struggle with running for office is it's really hard because you can't show yeah. all of yourself. And yeah, like I try to, like I had someone come up to me the other day and they said, yeah, Brie, your your tone on your Twitter and your Facebook hasn't changed that much. And I really appreciated that. But it's like hard when you leave a really geeky movie. And I don't know if I can like talk about that. Our forbidden the same topic way. for the day. <laughs> right, right. Um, it, it's it's really stressful. And I'd, I'd love your perspective here, Simone, because like for me as somebody that, you know, being queer and I had to come out, for me, being authentic with people and being my real self had such a high cost that I really, really value that. So it's it's hard for me to do anything that I perceive as hiding or dishonest in my, in my, you know, I guess brand, if you Mm. want to say it that (laughs) way. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? I totally know what you mean. Um, I I, I do understand that. I think for me, the situation I get coming from my perspective, um, with regards to who I am on social media, that's 100% me all the time, but I have never wanted to share certain things on social media and therefore I don't and therefore there I don't think that there's an expectation for that and things I'm talking about here are like if I have a bad day um my friends who <laughs> for example my best friend who lived with me for 4 years knows that that is not something that I will I will not come home and start like going on about uh garbage stuff in my life it will come out gradually in in a conversation with him and it's not something that i would ever put on social media just because i don't want stranger i don't want support from strangers it's not something that i seek out i don't care to share very private parts of myself with the general public because i'll i'll you know wake up tomorrow and feel better and look back on that and be like oh that's a that's a little too real there, girl. What are you, what's the, why'd you, what compelled you to put that out there? And that's just kind of part of my personality. Um, I understand if you want to seek out different connections, different sorts of more emotional connections on social media, that that could be part of, of someone's image and that that could complicate things. I think there's also, and this is kind of how I approach social media, and I imagine a lot of people do. And and this goes back to like when I was using MSN Messenger because growing up in Canada, we didn't have American online. <laughs> there was no AOL, but we used MSN Messenger. I liked and MSN be, at a time. Yeah, MSN was great. Little icons switching back and forth. That was cool. Um, but you use you would update your status bar all the way up to my point now where I'm 25 and and on Twitter and everything. I think it's – I call it um, like the the Beyonce mentality, which is that you heavily curate what people see. You choose what goes out. And I think mm-hmm. that when I was growing up and social media was definitely becoming a thing and it was a big part of my life, I think 
when you when you don't know who you are and that's scary and you're you can't control things in your life like you can't control anxiety or depression having an outlet where you control exactly what people see the person that you want them to see you as i think it's this heavily like beyonce curated experience where it's like mm-hmm. this is who i am i'm willing to pay $2000 so people can see this person that i want them to see and i think that's what I do with my own feed as well. But I want to specifically say, because I think this is so important, that I am saying it coming from um, a, a place where I have not faced the kind of harassment or abuse online that, um, you know, like, Brianna, like, you have, that other that other of our friends have. Like, I have not, and I think it would be a much different experience if it was. Yeah. Um, and I think that's so important to kind of reiterate with people that, like, I'm very privileged that I have not had to face that and I could not imagine what my social life would be like. A social media life would be like if it was different. Um, but it for me, it it does go back to that. Hey, people, uh, like I maybe don't like myself, but I like the version of myself I put out on social media. Sure. And I want them to kind of see that and think that is the real me and that that's the my persona. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it, I guess the last thing I'd like to say about your your piece, it, it kind of ties into that. It's like. You know, the people that are going to go to this, I, I know there's like a a point in laugh mentality at them, but I just, I, I think it's so sad because, and the truth is like, if you go to important parties, you know, at any really important high level function, there are going to be flowers and bees, right? And the, you know, the bees flock to the flowers and the, the kind of, the kind of people that get deep into a profession, like you don't get there from paying a lot of money for a festival and like talking to people. It's you have your own worth inside of you. Like Simone, part of why I think you're very successful, what you do is there is such a a joyous likability about you that people are drawn to you. And it's why, you know, when I see a video with you, I want to click on that. Julia, you are an incredible entertainment reporter. I know anytime I click on something you write, it's going to be well worth my time. And I think, I think that is something you, you can't pay for that. It comes from value that you create by, yeah, really working on a field. And I just I I just think that's so sad that some people think that's how you get there because it's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Sad day on Rocket. <laughs> no, it, it was actually this was a really I feel like we had three really good conversations yeah. and I really enjoyed this. Uh yeah. so what are we up to this week? Bree, what are you up to this week? Uh, also, wow, thank you for all the compliments you just gave me. I was looking at this picture of <laughs> yeah, Harry Houdini and so handcuffs, much. and that was I really mean, so kind of you. I mean it. I mean it. Uh, I mean it, Simone. Thank you uh, for being honest. What am I up to this week? Uh, I'm an L. That's really awesome. Uh, that just came out today yes. on magazine. Uh, look at my congressional campaign. Uh, I am working on my book. I am campaigning. I uh, oh, I've got an event at Harvard tomorrow. Uh, so Pantsuit Nation. Uh, I did one of the chapters in that book that's coming out, and we are going to have a big event uh, at a 
fun Harvard club tomorrow that was one of the first to allow women to attend. What? Uh, and it's going to be an open to media event where we are all planning on how to do our part to get Trump impeached. And then <laughs> I'm going to go do a book reading, which will be very fun in a Harvard bookstore. Uh, so that's and I'm going to try to get airbags in my car this weekend. Why are you so doing 7,000 things? Yeah, your week puts all of our weeks yeah, to shame. I'm gonna sleep. <laughs> no, I just put the uh, link to your L profile in yeah. the show notes. So that will be there. Very happy People want to read it. Uh, Julia, what are you up to this week? Uh, what has happened this week? There I is don't know. You're watching just- Alien tonight. Like you, all, I am watching all are the you aliens. Alien Covenant? No, no. So that so we oh. uh, our Alien Covenant reviews online. It was reviewed by a fantastic uh, freelance film critic named Charles Bromesco, who's brilliant. Um, and I believe for us, I think Arthur's also seeing it tonight. I'm gonna watch it next week when it comes out with everyone else. Um, but I have I'm revisiting every other Alien movie because I can't remember them. So I'm oh. gonna revisit revisit them and write up a huge thing on revisiting them now. I think. God, how am I 25? Yeah, close to, almost close to 12 years after seeing them originally. Wow. Yeah, so I'm I'm sleeping at the office (laughs) because we have a beautiful den that we use for um, streaming, and it's got a great, great, great television sound system. So sleeping here, I'm going to marathon them all tonight and be totally useless. You're going to be so scared. You're literally going to be in the office. The lights are about to go off. At 10 p.m. <laughs> and well, you're going to be office, so scared. <laughs> Danny, our office manager, who we all love dearly, showed me how to turn the lights back on. <laughs> so oh, that was really nice good. of him. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, does Prometheus and Aliens versus Predator, does that make the list here? Yeah. They're all going to – so, uh, yes, Prometheus, we are def- – is going to be – not tonight, I don't think, because I don't have it. But, yeah, Alien versus Predator is in there. Um, and the other ones. I just finished Alien before hopping on this. So Oof. we're getting through. Jeez. That's funny because like you're starting at the top and then they get <laughs> progressively worse as you go. Because like you're starting at Alien. That's a high point of cinema history. And then you're going to AVP2, which is one of the worst. It's the worst Alien movie by far. Julie's I literally going to so. age 20 years in the course <laughs> of tonight. I think like if you ever want a summary of who I am as a person, which might make everyone yeah. turn this off, and I'm really sorry. Uh, but I remember saying to our boss, Chris Grant, I said, oh, I liked Prometheus. I don't get it. And he just was like, of course you did. <laughs> just like, like, yeah, Prometheus. that makes sense. And I was like... So that to me as a human. Sorry I to like everyone. Prometheus. I completely agree with you. Yeah, I, think, I like that. I, I thought it was fine. Yeah. And as usual, People- I haven't seen Prometheus. So But it has Michael Fassbender Simone, so you have to. Him hot. So where can we find you <laughs> online, Julia? Oh, on Twitter at Loudmouth Julia. Hey hey. <laughs> and Brianna. Space Cat Gal. And I'm on Twitter at Doom Quasar. You can watch my videos at youtube.com slash polygon. Today I got blindfolded and had to drive a car for an hour in GTA 5. It was great. It was great. Thank you. It was great. (laughs) It felt traumatic and sweaty. Uh, If you like this episode of Rocket, please uh, go to the iTunes place and leave a stars or reviews. Whatever it is that you do there. I... I've, I've never heard of iTunes. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, do that thing because we love it. And this episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated. Julia? Say, do terminated. I say terminated. Terminated. Yeah.